Almighty God, that is our request. We've been standing in worship in your presence because you deserve our standing in adoration of you. We sit now in quiet reflection. Be seated, my friends. And God, as we are seated in quiet reflection, we take these moments now to reflect on what we have been singing. You are a majestic and a holy God. And there is a miracle that is taking place in this room right now. The Almighty God who created the entire universe and has created all of us is receiving the worship of normal, everyday people, none of whom is perfect. That's a miracle. Every breath every one of us in this room is taking is a miraculous gift. You have given us that breath, God. And as we take it into our lungs and how it is dispersed all throughout our body, that's a miracle. 60 degrees. <laughs> In the first week of March, that's a miracle. Now, God, you know the miraculous touch that every person in this room needs this morning from you. We have sung, Purify My Heart. That's the first touch we need, God. Every single one of us in this room, starting with me, my heart can only be pure if you touch my heart, God. I can't make it pure. Why don't you invite God right where you're sitting, my friends, to touch your heart this morning with what he knows you need. I would imagine, God, in this room there are some folks who have broken hearts. They need your healing touch. There are some folks who came into this room with anxious, fearful hearts. They need your calming touch. Are there some folks among us, God, who have angry, bitter hearts, resentful hearts, because some very unfair things have been said or done to them? God, they need your loving touch. Every one of us in this room, God, needs your forgiving touch because there's none of us who has lived a sinless life this last week. Why don't you invite him to touch your heart this morning? He made it. He knows everything about your heart. And he loves you greatly. Now, Lord Jesus, we've come into this place to worship you. It's a miracle, this encounter between a holy God and worshiping sinful humanity. We're asking that that miracle would result in changed lives all through this room. And then when we leave here in a few minutes and go out into a world that desperately needs God's touch, that you're working through our changed lives would impact our world. Thank you, God, for this quiet place where we can close out the busyness of our world and just meet with you. We worship you.
Why don't you tell him how thankful you are that he made you and that he loves you and that he knows you. We praise you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, God, I have a question. We've just sung, speak, O Lord. What would you like to say to us today? What have you been preparing all week long for this moment to be able to say into the hearts and into the minds of these dear folks that I know you love, O oh God, even more than I love them? What do you want to say, God, into every marriage that's represented in this room? God, what do you want to say into, every, into the life of every single man or woman? What do you want to say into the life of every widow or widower? How about every one of our teenagers, oh God, and our preteens? What do you want to speak into each of their lives today? And how about our young ones, our little ones, these little innocent ones growing up in such a difficult, painful dysfunctional, distorted world. What do you want to say into their young little lives this morning, God, through these dear adults who have been preparing to love them and to teach them today? God, I have a second question. And my second question is, what stands in the way for each of us? What stands in the way of, of our hearing and understanding what you want to say to us? Is it our pride that we don't think we need your help? Is it our pain that is so great that we don't think we can hear your voice? Is it our boredom, our apathy? God, please help us to see this morning what stands in the way of our hearing and understanding what you want to speak to each of us today. Why don't you ask him to speak to you, my friends? What he knows you need to hear from him today. Now, we trust you with that request, God. We trust you that you love us. And so, yes, speak, O Lord, and we're listening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You hear that little voice over there? Amen. Isn't that great? <laughs> that little voice must be growing up in a family where they pray. And so they understand that at the end of a prayer you say, amen. Praise God. Whatever family that is, I thank God for you. Little ones, uh, we're ready to, to dismiss you to uh, the adults that have been preparing all week for you. And I... Uh, <sighs> my sister lives in Hong Kong. <laughs> she should be on her way to Hong Kong, and she's sitting here. But would you allow me to <laughs> get a... What in the world? <laughs> Wow. 
That isn't right, is it? <laughs> Our theme verse this year, such a great verse. Would you say it with me? Hmm. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Boy, that's a great verse, isn't it? I hope you're memorizing it. Can I give you a little advanced warning? The four- and five-year-olds are memorizing it with my dear wife. And when she's got it all done, they'd like to stand in front of us, even with motions. Now, won't you feel embarrassed if, if four-year-olds can say it and you still have to look at the screen? So I urge you, <laughs> get a card. <laughs> and would you open your Bibles, please, to where that is found, Hebrews chapter 12, my dear friends, because that next verse, the, the third verse that follows that second verse says, Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him who endured such opposition. Is it possible that the Lord Jesus Christ faced opposition? Oh, yeah. In fact, on one occasion, would you believe this? He had done a miracle, and the religious leaders accused him of doing the miracle in the power of Satan. Can you imagine that? And his response to them is found in Matthew chapter 12, and you'll see it on the screen, and you see it there in your notes. Uh, look at what he said to them. Out of the overflow of the, mouth, of the heart, the mouth speaks. I tell you, Jesus said, that men will have to give account for every careless word they have spoken. Oh my, when I sense the Holy Spirit of God stirring in my heart at the beginning of the week for what he wants to say to us this weekend, I want you to know that I've had a bit of a trembling week. Because you see, last week what God challenged us with was that the truthfulness, the authenticity of your faith and what God's doing in you is seen in your actions, your life. Today, we want to consider that the authenticity, the truth of what God is doing in you is heard by what comes out of your mouth. Ouch. James, you go over one page or two to the right, the book of James is what we're working through in these weeks, and he unpacks for us our theme verse. And in the first chapter, the 19th verse, James says, My dear brothers, Take note of this. Whenever the Bible says, pay attention, I do. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Do you agree with that? Would that make a big difference in your family, <laughs> in your workplace, in your social group, if everybody did that? Yeah. And then if you turn one more page, James takes that statement and he takes 12 verses in the third chapter of James to unpack it even further. Look at the first couple. Now many of you, not many of you, should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. May I tell you that that verse right there is what kept me out of the ministry for a long time. It scares me to death. 
Because it tells me that every word that comes out of my mouth when I'm standing before you or in a discipleship class or teaching the men on Wednesday evenings, God is listening very carefully and I will be held to a very high standard because of the potential it has to influence your life. Look at the next verse, though. This one applies to all of us. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. Amen. I'm dying to meet that person. So if you're here, please stand, because I've been looking my lifetime to find this perfect man who never stumbles with what he says. Please, are you here? That's what I thought. That means you're just like me, because I haven't met him yet, and neither have you. He's able to keep his whole body in check. This person who could control his tongue would be able to control every part of his body. Authentic faith, what does it sound like? When God is doing an authentic, real work in your life, what does it sound like? (laughs) I like to look for little video clips that make it really practical. I found one. I think you're going to really like this. Emma, you got it there? I'm outside the concert you're at. I think I'm in the spot, and I think it's already started, and I was... Hello? Hello? can't get on the phone right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> hey, your voicemail cut me off. So what I was saying was I'm outside... can't get on the phone. Now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> I just can't believe a message. Can't get on the phone right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> I just can't believe a message. Funniest thing keeps cutting me off. Can't get on the phone right now. Can't get on the phone. Hey, I'll talk really, really fast because for whatever reason, your little voicemail message thingy keeps cutting me off. Maybe it's because you have a cheap phone. Yeah, I said it. Hey, look, look, I see the writing on the wall. I am here, you invited me, and I'm standing out here like some dork waiting for you, huh? I got stood up by a buddy. What is that about? This is so you. This is so high school all over again. You get some more important friends, and me, I'm left like some chump. You have bad breath. Has anyone in your life ever told you that? It stinks, and you will not have me me, Mr. Trevor, to kick around anymore. Do you hear me? No more. Bro! The mailbox is full. Full of that. Hey, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, I tried to call you, but my phone's checked out. Anyway, the reason I'm late is I ran into this guy who was selling his tickets. You're going to love this, okay? Get this. Box seats, all-you-can-eat food, the best seats in the house, and the best part, my treat. I mean, think about it. You're my best buddy, right? I mean, what better way to say thank you than these? Hang on, I was expecting a call. Let's take this down. Oh, it's a message from you. And another one. And another one. Been there, done that? So let's just go right into the scripture. We don't need to make any commentary. Verse 3, chapter 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, 
we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. I've taken those verses, my friends, and I've tried to cull them down to one statement, and here's what it is. My tongue has great potential power. I need to be careful. What about you? Words spoken can never be unspoken. There is no delete button once it comes out. Do you agree with that? So why don't we think about that more before it comes flying out, huh? James goes on in verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. My tongue, when I take all of that and condense it down, my tongue is a great weapon of my sin nature. While, yes, my sin nature tries to get me to use my hands to do wrong things and to go onto websites that will hurt me and my family and my feet to direct me into a wrong direction, it's my tongue that my sin nature uses most to do the greatest degree of damage. I live with the consequences of the damage that my tongue causes. What about you? Would you say that's true for you as well? So I have to understand that even though I have trusted Christ to be my Savior, there is this sin nature in me that wants to use my tongue, even though I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to hurt people. How about you? And he goes on, do you see, verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I put all that together with this statement. Do I have two tongues or a dual personality tongue? And ultimately, who is responsible for what comes out of my mouth? I've been thinking about that a lot. And probably you have been on the receiving end, my friends, of some hurtful things. And then the person said, I'm sorry, it really wasn't my fault. It was, and they blamed somebody else. It was the home I grew up in. It was my terrible boss. It was, and you're standing there and you're waiting them to say, but it's my fault. I said it, and they never do. Huh? That ever happened to you? God says, I gave you your tongue, and what you do with it is your responsibility. So I've been pondering that, and it seems to me that it is my mind that tells every part of my body what to do. So my mind is what's responsible for my tongue, right? 
And sometimes my heart, my emotions get involved in influencing my mind, and then my tongue combines with my tone of voice and my body language, and oh my, what about you? And that's why, may I read to you from Romans chapter 8, listen to verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Holy Spirit have their minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Holy Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God by actions or by words. In Romans 12, he says, So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what that means, my dear friends, is if your tongue is going to come in line, shall we say, with who you really want to be, a man or a woman who honors God, your mind is going to have to be changed by the power of God. How you think. Do you agree with that? And then your heart is going to have to undergo a transformation because you and I are responsible for what comes out. If that screen would suddenly start scrolling every word you have spoken since last Sunday to now so that all of us could watch it, every word you've spoken, and then would come all the emails that you have written, and all the texts that you have sent on your cell phone, what would we see and what would we conclude about your heart based on what has come out of your mind, out of your mouth just this week? You might want to jot this down. Our theme verse talks, my dear friends, about throwing off the things that hinder you. Few things hinder you from being who you really want to be more than your mouth. Few things hinder you from being who you really want to be more than your mouth. And write this one down. Nothing reveals the true condition of your heart more than your words. Would you agree with that? Nothing reveals the true condition of your heart more than your words. If I was to ask you who's the angriest person you know, it probably wouldn't take long for you to come up with one or two or three. Who's the kindest person you know? And both of those two emotions would be measured, wouldn't they, by the words that have come out of those people's mouths. last few weeks I've given you this statement that you see in your notes. Truth heard but not owned can become a layer of insulation preventing truth from permeating my life. Now all of us have heard words that, that started with our own parents when we were very young about the damage that can be done with our tongue. We've heard it over and over and over. Is it possible you've heard it so much you've just disregarded it? It's become an insulation on your mind so that as the Holy Spirit of God tries to convict your mind for the damage that your tongue does, you don't even hear it anymore. 
My tongue reveals what I have done with God's truth. Have I owned God's truth and let it change my life? Or have I insulated myself from it? Now there's some notes there in your worship folder and I would urge you to take those notes because I want us to take a look at the four types of faith that I have showed you over the last couple of weeks and I'd like us to unpack that together, these four types of faith. First is this matter of this authentic faith. It's the the kind of faith that says, my life depends on it. It's the faith, my dear friends, that, that you pour out in your cry to God, God, please help me. This is saving faith. This is the faith that you come to God acknowledging, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. Please help me. And when you do that, last week I showed you that God unleashes an avalanche of his mighty power into your life. And he does that life-changing work. The way that I wrote it there was, this faith in Jesus invites the avalanche of God's life-transforming work in me. Amen? Isn't that true? So the question, how do you express this type of faith? What does that kind of faith sound like when it comes out of your mouth? The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 that there was a leper, a man with leprosy who understood that he was unclean, that he couldn't go around normal people, but he had a desperate desire to be healed, to be well. And Jesus was coming to his town, and he went out to meet Jesus, and he cried out, Lord, help me. And as he approached him, he said, If you are willing, I know you can heal me. You see, his words expressed the authenticity of authentic faith deep within him. He was convinced that Jesus could make him well. And Jesus' response? (laughs) I see the depth and the truth of your faith. Be healed. And healed him right on the spot. Or another example that I have for you there, you remember in Matthew 16, it tells us that Jesus was with some of his disciples. And he asked them, so what are the people saying about me? Who do they say I am? And they answered with all kinds of answers. And finally, he evidently looked right at Peter. And Peter, what about you? Who do you say I am? And this authentic faith declared You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, and it's on that truth that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But amazingly, within only a few weeks, that very same Peter is standing by a fire warming himself. And that very same Jesus is only a few yards away. And a girl, a young girl, says to him, Hey, haven't I seen you with him? Me? Him? (laughs) Not me. I I don't even know that man. Now, how could that be? Ah, that's the reality that every single one of us lives with, isn't it? The very same tongue can be honoring to God and praising God and can be like a razor slicing somebody else's heart, even denying the God that you claim to know, right? Right? Or how about when David writes in Psalm 51, Oh God, God, I've made a shambles of my life. Create in me a pure heart. I can't fix my problem. Authentic faith. What does it sound like when it comes out of your mouth, my friends? And how is God responding to your authentic faith statements as he does his work in you, huh? 
Now, I've been trying to find a practical, plausible something that I can hold on to that gives me an example of that. And the closest thing that I can come to, or at least something that came into my mind this week, is a pregnant woman. Now, let me just stop and let you see if you can figure that out. (laughs) No. Isn't this true? In a moment of intimacy between a husband and a wife and God, something happens in the womb of this woman. A miracle. Conception. And then uh, that woman needs to eat properly and, and take care of herself and get rest. And God reaches inside that womb every moment of the next nine months and fabricates a baby, a living human being. Do you see it's the same thing? Authentic faith cries out, God, please do in me what I can't do in me. And that kind of authentic faith awakens in God a desire and a work that he loves to do in you, that saving work, that reconciling work back to the Father, that healing work, that forgiving work, that cleansing work. Amen? Have you experienced it? Are you transformed by the power of God who responded to your cry of authentic faith? Let me give you a second one, dear friends. It's what I've been calling this life-changing faith. It's the kind of faith that says, I'm becoming a different person because of what God is doing in me. This faith is authenticated by my changing lifestyle that, that reflects the change that God is accomplishing in me. But here's my question. How is my language changing? You see, I've got some scriptures for you there in your notes. Paul wrestled with, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Who will rescue me? Oh, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ can rescue me. Solomon writes in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. When words are many, sin is not absent. He who holds his tongue is wise. And then this one in Proverbs 12, oh my, you see it written there for you? Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Yesterday was a beautiful cloudless day. Today it appears maybe another. One of the things I love to do is look up at the vapor trails of the airplanes. Don't you love watching those? And occasionally you see where evidently they came to a place where an air traffic controller said, turn left. Question, what's the vapor trail of your words? If you look back across the sky over the last week, month, year, ten years, what's the vapor trail of your words that you've left behind? Now, you see, this life-changing faith, what it says is you and I should be changing dramatically as we come to know Jesus Christ more and more and more, as his word takes a deeper root in our lives. The best example, if we go back to this pregnancy example, if authentic faith is God doing that deep internal work of awakening a new life in you, life-changing faith is what happens between the time that that baby is brought home from the hospital and that baby walks across the platform of a high school and receives a high school diploma. They mature, they grow, they develop physically, socially, intellectually, and in every other way, right? And what is it, what is it that's the key? You don't have to teach a brand-new little baby to do this. Right? What is that? That's hunger. God puts that in a little baby. And when a little baby doesn't have that ability to suck, that's a problem, isn't it? 
What is the key to this life-changing faith growth? It's hunger. What is the depth of your hunger to become a man or a woman of God? The man or the woman that God designed you to be when he was conceiving you in your mother's womb. And how do you measure that hunger? To the degree that you're hungry to change and hungry to grow, God will feed you. He'll do that great work. You ought to be able to look back to the point where you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior and where you are today, and you ought to see dramatic change. And we ought to be able to hear it in the change of your vocabulary and your language. Do you agree with that? And if we don't see a change, what do you suppose that means? Hmm. Moms and dads get really frightened if little babies aren't growing. And they run to the doctors and they say, we've got a serious problem here. This baby's five years old but still weighs ten pounds. What's the problem? Hmm. Can you make the application? Spiritually, when was it that you first, in great authentic faith, reached out to God and asked for him to do that great work in you? Was that five years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago? And how much have you grown? How much great change has happened in your life? And what does it sound like when we listen or we watch the vapor trail of your words? Can I give you a third one? The third one is what I'm calling mature faith. This, it's that next step in the development of faith. I've said here, I am being empowered by God. This spirit-filled faith is the kind of faith that defeats doubt, discouragement, despair, and it's the kind of faith that even battles against the dark kingdom, the demons. And as I become more spiritually mature, I am living in the power of the risen Jesus Christ over sin and Satan and death. And you see in your notes, I've only given you one verse, just one. I could give you many for this. Do you see it there? Would you say it with me, friends? You see it. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building one another up according to their needs, so that it will benefit those who listen. That's a different kind of faith. This is now a mature faith. It's the kind of faith, my dear friends, it's the depth of a relationship with Jesus Christ that when you're in a conversation and someone else is talking, you're not already making a plan to hurry up and answer. You're, what is it? listening but you're doing more than that you're listening with your ears and you're praying with your mind God help me understand what is this person saying to me what's behind the words God how would you like to respond through my mouth to what this person is now saying we've all been in conversations where you're trying to say something to someone and you can already see that they can't hardly wait for you to take a breath so they can jump in right and you remember how you felt? You wanted to say, you're not listening to anything I'm saying, are you? Have you learned the Nehemiah experience? As you're listening, you're praying, God, God, what's behind the words and what do you want to say in response? And God, please don't let my tongue get in the way of what you'd like to say, huh? That's mature faith. 
And so the question, what words come out of your mouth that build other people up? Now, it would be enough if Paul had simply said, let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, period. He could stop right there, and that'd be pretty powerful. But he continues, let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful. Wow. How much change would that make in your life if the only things that came out of your mouth were things that were helpful to other people? But only that which is helpful for building others up, encouraging others according to their needs. Oh my, you see that last little phrase, according to their needs, means you know what they need. You've listened well enough that you understand what they need to hear from you that would be helpful. So you got your pencil? I've jotted down a couple of tongues, I've called them here, in my notes. They're not in your notes, they're in mine. The power of what I'm calling a victorious tongue in battle. When you're listening to somebody who is explaining to you, I'm fighting this horrific spiritual battle. I need someone who can understand how to battle against the dark kingdom. Are you able to say, I've been there. I've been victorious by the power of Jesus Christ. Here, let me help you with truth on how to battle that. Or how about this one? A counseling tongue in difficult times. We've all been on the receiving end of those conversations where a person is unpacking for you the pain and the horribleness of their life. And they're needing to hear from you words of wise, good counsel that can only come from God. Or how about this one? A sensitive, compassionate tongue in difficult times. We've all been in a conversation where we're hearing a person pouring out, maybe with tears, here's the pain of my life. And what they don't need is an accusing finger. What they need is a compassionate, sensitive tongue that can speak hope and build up in that. Am I right, my dear friends? Would you agree with that? How about this one? A confident tongue when speaking into the life of a person who's feeling very vulnerable, confident that God can help them there. Do you think it's possible that every single day, among all the people who know you, there is at least one person who is thinking about you and thinking about a particular set of circumstances that you might encounter and they're playing through their mind, how do, you, how do they think you will respond if you find yourself being given that piece of information or finding yourself in that situation? Isn't it true that almost always when you find yourself picking up the telephone to call someone or writing an email and you have a piece of information that you're going to give them, you're already thinking about how are they going to react to what I'm about to tell them, Right? Is it possible that every single day there is somebody among all the people that you know who's thinking about how you're going to react to a piece of news or a situation? And what they think about how you're going to react is based upon what? The vapor trail. What they know about your history of what comes out of here when you receive unexpected, frustrating news or disappointing news, or when something doesn't work out the way you had hoped and planned it would. The vapor trail tells them whether they need to come in with a football helmet on when they're about to give you some disappointing news because of what's going to happen, right? 
We can't go back. But we can change going forward. Amen? Can't we? We can change going forward by the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so there's one more. There's a fourth one. Reproducing faith. It's this faith that says, I offer you hope. Experiencing God in perseverance as we walk the long journey through the trials and the temptations of life. This is the faith that builds spiritual confidence, which provides hope for the weary and the wounded and the lost and the desperate people that you and I touch every week. I've got two scriptures there for you. As you see, it's as Paul is approaching the end of his life, he writes to young Timothy, Timothy, the things that you have heard me say, entrust those things to other men who will be reliable to own them and to understand them and to entrust them to others. That's that reproductive disciple-making process, right? So look at the vapor trail. And how many folks have learned from you and what you have said, the kinds of things that can help them stand strong in the storms, help them heal in the painful times, help them go forward trusting God in the decision-making moments. And then John, of course, when he comes to the end of his life, the Apostle John, close friend of Jesus, I have it there for you in 1 John, he says, this we proclaim concerning him, God, who came here in the person of Jesus Christ, the word of life. He appeared. We've seen him with our own eyes. We've touched him with our own hands. We've had meals with him. <laughs> and we proclaim to you eternal life. We proclaim what we've seen and heard so you can have a relationship with Jesus like we have. If that authentic faith is, uh, is pictured by a pregnant woman who is experiencing the miraculous work of God inside of her, it's that, if that's the same picture as what happens to you and I when we are initially saved and then God does that transforming work in us, if, if life-changing faith is pictured by the development that happens between a brand newborn all the way through the elementary school, the junior high, the high school, as a person develops into being a young adult getting ready to step out into life, if mature faith, may I suggest, is represented by many of you in this room, those who, who have families, those who are trying to, to mentor and teach their children based on what they have learned in life and who are stepping into the, the battles, the problems that their families are facing, then what about these, this reproducing life? I see them right here, many of you. These are the ones who have walked with Jesus over the long journey. You found him to be faithful and reliable and he found his truth to be unwavering and strong in the storm. And now as you're approaching, shall we say, the end of your journey, you're able to say to your family, two or three generations that follow you and all that know you, Jesus Christ is the real deal. And a relationship with him is the single most significant life-changing thing you could possibly ever experience and hold tightly to. So what's the little question here? What do I proclaim? Look at the vapor trail of the trail of your words. What are you proclaiming to our world about what's important to you? As you look at all the words, it shouldn't be hard for you and those who have listened to your words to conclude what is really important to you. You talk about it a lot. It shouldn't be hard for us to conclude what is the true condition of your heart. 
Your vocabulary tells us. Your language tells us. It shouldn't be hard for us to conclude, how do you feel about your spouse or your children or your parents? Your language tells us. It's not hard for us to figure out how do you feel about your job or your boss or your neighbors. (laughs) It tells us the condition of your heart. This book that we men are working our way through on Wednesday nights is so powerful. The authors, uh, as you know, are a part of the Courageous movie, and they write, we are very passionate about the implications of this chapter, the chain-breaking chapter, because our daddy was a chain-breaker. Our father chose not to follow in the footsteps of his dad or his granddad. Both of those generations had wasted their lives in alcoholism, immorality, and rebellion against God. Instead, our daddy surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He forgave his father for all the pain that he had brought on him. And then he allowed the word of God to teach him how to be a godly dad and husband. Our dad married a wonderful godly woman. And they dedicated each of us, his sons, as his children to the Lord. Because of this, we grew up in a strong and loving home, living in the rewards and the blessings that follow a godly man of integrity. We never once stumbled upon our dad looking at a pornographic magazine. Instead, we found our dad on his knees interceding, on behalf of his children and his family. We are so grateful that God's grace and truth penetrated into our dad's heart and he responded with faith and courage and obedience. This has made a huge difference for all three of us, his sons, and now his 15 grandchildren. His words have shaped our lives. What about it, friends? We can't go back. The vapor trail is there for all to see. But you and I yet have a lot of life to live. Amen? Millions of more words that will come out of our mouths. Today is the day to make the decision. Right now you're silent before me. And you've been silent for about 30 minutes. What will the next words that come out of your mouth sound like? And what about tomorrow and Wednesday and Friday and Saturday? Hmm. Let that little voice remind you and me that we've wounded a lot of people with our words, haven't we? And let that little voice cry out to you and to me, begging us, no more, no more. By the power of God unleashed in your life, changing your heart and changing your mind, what comes out of your mouth will be different. It will be honoring to God. It will be helpful to those around you. So let's talk to him right now and let's ask him to do that in our lives. God, we have to thank you that you're a patient God. 
Because the truth is, for probably all of us in this room, there have been a whole bunch of times in our lives you should have spanked us. I mean really spanked us. Maybe you should have just sucked the air right out of our lungs and ended our lives. Because the stuff that's poured out of our mouths has been so ugly, so hurtful. But you've been a patient God. And we thank you for that. And this morning now, before we step out of this place into a world that awaits us, we're asking God, please, please, right now. We're reaching to you in great authentic faith, and we're asking you, heal us, God. Heal our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Clean up our minds, please, O oh God. So that what filters from our hearts through our minds to our tongues and finally comes out to the people around us is nothing short of honoring to God every time and helpful to those who hear it. It's you and him right now, my friends. You and the God who made you. An opportunity to have a conversation about the vapor trail of your words. And a chance right now for you to invite him to help you. The words of this song as we worship you, O oh God, are powerful words. As we open our hearts to you and we invite you to do that great work that only you can do. Change us, O oh God, change us into godly people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.